no question about it. I am ready to get hurt again. And we're back. It's been so long, Chris. We are back and we're at it with my main man, Joe Shaw. We're talking Miami Fusion. For those of you watching on YouTube, you can tell things look just a little bit different. Not so much Rosa Negra, a little more blue and what is that? Yellow or gold, Joe? What it's am I yellow. Yellow. That's it was a little yellow. gold in some kits, but primarily yellow. There we go. So blue and yellow. We kind of did it up. I got my Miami Fusion jersey on. Joe has his Miami Fusion on. I don't know what the hell Chris is rocking, but we're, we're I'm rocking we're ready. a Brooklyn, we're ready. A Brooklyn, Brooklyn Dodgers, Dodgers hat. hat with a regular white shirt. I was gonna wear my Wu Tang hat since it is also Wu Tang Wednesday, and it's that's got some yellow on it too. But I felt it was appropriate to rock the the blue and yellow. So, all right, so Joe, thank you for joining us. I've been looking forward to this. I told you that we kind of had like a set where we go Tuesdays. We usually talk about the game before Wednesdays. We preview the game after. So I thought today would be the perfect day because we have no game coming up. I mean, obviously something just randomly popped up today with the trade talk, but we had nothing planned for today. So I thought today was the perfect day because we've been listening to your show since it got started back. It was in January that you dropped the first episode and, um, yeah, we actually dropped the first episode March 15th of this year, which Wasn't is 25 January? years. No, I started recording back then, started hyping, trying uh, to get you know people yeah, aware. Because I remember you yeah. contacted me in January. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Right, and you've had three episodes, the latest dropping today. Yep. Um, so we wanted to have you on. And um, I mean, I guess let's just start out with how the hell are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm doing well. You know, uh, it's crazy to think that 25 years ago, this club... Uh, came to Miami and said, "Hey, I think Miami deserves some football down here in South Florida. Let's let's do it up. Let's make it right." It took a couple years to get really going until that 2001 magical year when they yeah. won the Supporter Shield, and then boom, it was gone as quickly as it was here. It was gone, and not until Inter Miami came did we get the opportunity to bring football back to South Florida. So I'm excited. Yes. Anytime I get to talk about classic MLS vintage soccer. You know, I, I I geek out about this all day. I love I grew up. I'm in Dallas. So I grew up going to the Cotton Bowl, the Dallas where I was a ball kid in 98, throwing balls out to Jorge Campos as he's running up and down the field with a baseball cap on. I mean, just crazy stories like you wouldn't believe. Saw an Olympico by Damian Alvarez and an eight to one loss to the Galaxy. That was wild. So just anything I'm doing some deep cuts. You're a historian. People. Yes, I try to. I try to be it. So I love it. I love talking about this. So before we get into the, the specifics of the Miami Fusion, and Chris, before you get to your question, I did have just one quick question before getting started. You are, I mean, were you a Miami Fusion fan back in the late 90s? I was. I was. Um, okay. Yeah. Because so I thought that you were a Dallas fan. I am. So I'm a Texan okay. born and bred. But something that I think is really cool and unique about MLS is because the league is relatively young compared to all of the other leagues. Uh, you you see a lot of um, unification yeah. of support for different clubs. I mean, you even see it in the CONCACAF Champions League, right? People are like, yeah. look, I don't like LAFC, but I want them to win. I don't like Philadelphia, but I'm here to support them. You saw a lot of that last year with Seattle when they won the Champions League. Um, and you don't get a lot yes. of that in other leagues, even in other American sports leagues. So for me, I, I watched the Fusion play and I fell in love. And it didn't hurt that Jim Rooney, who did the first episode, he's a family friend. So there's a connection there. Shout out yes. to his brother, Al. He's a really good friend. And so 
uh, that was sort of an in for me to start following the team and then watching them play. My God, the 2001 season. I mean, you think you like Barcelona, you need to watch the 2001 fusion. It was boom, 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 goal. Other team didn't even see the ball. Well, and and I, I appreciate what you just said because that's something that you do see a lot in, in the MLS in difference to like, for example, in like the Premier League. It's like a crime to not like more than one team or or whatever. And that's just from my perspective, what I've noticed that there's a lot of fans that are fans of one team and it's like a crime to even consider any other team just a little bit decent, you know, like everybody else has to be crap compared to that one team that you have to enjoy because they've been around for like 200 years. Right. So I, I definitely understand your point of view when it comes to, to that. And it's crazy because you have a lot of people that, Hey, if you're not a fan of your local team, or if you are a fan of your local team, I mean, FC Dallas, they're on the West Coast. So, I mean, you can have your opportunity of picking an East Coast, you know, team. Like, for example, I, I like LAFC, right? So, it, it's not far-fetched what you're saying. Yeah, It's not front-runner. Isn't front-runner being like with the Seattle Sounders? Aren't they like the greatest Western Conference LAFC team of like LAFC literally time? are the champions right now. Yeah, but yeah. I like them before they won that championship. It's All the right. black and gold. I mean, it's something about yeah, those jerseys, right? Super clean. They had Great Gatsby-esque. If anybody saw the Great Gatsby movie, right? The poster, there yes. were shades and of that. The logo the is really clean also. Oh, it yes, is. it's very clean. All right. So, so go ahead, Danny. The Miami Fusion. Uh, let's get into it. First inaugural season, 1998. I believe they made the playoffs. Right? Yes. They made the playoffs. It wasn't that hard to make it, but they were overshadowed no. by Chicago that year, weren't they? Yes. So, and for those who don't know, right, and MLS started, and this, this light, I apologize. I keep fiddling with it because it keeps messing me up. We're just going to leave it off. We're going to leave it off. Yeah, but, yeah. It's all good. Uh, MLS started in 1996, right? You had 10 teams entering the league, and then two years after it got going, you had Ken Horowitz say, hey, I want to exercise an option to buy a team bring it into South Florida to have the fusion. And alternatively, you had Anschutz, Phil Anschutz exercise his option to bring another club into MLS. He had already owned one. Uh, I think he owned a couple at that point. And so he brought in the Chicago Fire. So they both came in at the same time. And yeah, yeah. Chicago did the double that year. They won the Open Cup and the MLS Cup in 98, dominated the league. And the fusion, you know, they got there. They got to the playoffs. Four out of five teams in each conference made the playoffs. But they didn't really make any noise. They had Valderrama, Carlos Valderrama, as mm -hmm. their main draw, main attraction. Mm -hmm. He wasn't really enjoying life in Miami. In 99, he has to be traded back to the Tampa Bay Mutiny, the other Florida team. And so it really took the fusion a couple of years to find their identity and really stand apart as a unique team instead of just another MLS team. And, uh, and one answer, of the answer Richard Greenberg's question yes. just real quick. He asked if me or Chris had ever been to a fusion game. Uh, I'm actually Colombian and I'm a big Pio Valderrama fan. I actually had a Pio Valderrama birthday cake when I was eight years old to let you know how big of a fan I was. Yes. So, yes, I went to one fusion game and it was literally just to go see Pio Valderrama. But that's all I went to. And after that game, I never went back. That's the good old and Lockhart been, Stadium. Yes. And I've been to zero. Well, <laughs> I like that, you know, Daniel, you brought up Lockhart Stadium because what a lot of people don't know, which which I didn't. And let me let me back up for those that may 
maybe wondering like why are we doing why are we doing this episode well we're doing this episode because the fusion were incredible right but we're also doing this episode to honor the history of major league soccer and the teams and the players that laid the foundation for the fact that we get to talk about or y'all get to talk about inter miami i get to listen right inter miami every week on the battered inherence podcast along with other people um and i think as the league continues to grow people start to forget about some of these stories and clubs and, yeah. and legacies that came before. And it's a shame because we, we really should remember the fact that mm -hmm. Alex Pineda Chicon won the golden boot and the MVP in one season. And his second place finisher was Diego Sarno who played on the same team with him. Right. So like they both were on the Miami fusion. They both dominated together. They were a one and two punch combo. And, and he didn't even didn't even start at the beginning of the season, and he still won the Golden Boot. That is correct. So he uh, the fusion. When I realized it was, and for me, I'm a storyteller. I have a couple other podcast projects. I got my undergrad degree in theater. I enjoy doing this, but I love highlighting other people's stories. And so when I saw it was 25 years since the fusion came in, I was like, boom, perfect opportunity perfect to just talk to people. So the podcast 25 for 25 really is the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it talk to players, talk to coaches. The episode that dropped today with assistant coach John Trask uh, is incredible. I highly recommend people listen to it. We're talking to staffers. Um, I actually just recorded an episode with Alex Benia going himself. I'll tell some of those stories. He's a wonderful, wonderful dude. I, he's just hilarious and funny and and really he's kind in English. Yes, yes. <laughs> but that's that's what we're but that's what we're doing, right? So with with this podcast and uh, you had asked about you had mentioned Lockhart Stadium. And so I think it's yes. important to know. I didn't know this until I started doing research for this podcast earlier in the year. But while the Columbus Crew Stadium in 1999 was the first official soccer specific stadium that was designed and built for the purposes of being a quote unquote soccer specific stadium, Lockhart Stadium came first and Lockhart Stadium was designed to be a soccer specific stadium. It was not originally built. So the technicality, it's Columbus. Mm. But Ken Horowitz wanted to go into the Orange Bowl. But the mayor said, you got to sign a 10 year lease to play in the Orange Ooh. Bowl. And Ken said, look, this league is two years old. I don't know if it's going to make it. I don't know if the team's going to make it. I need a more flexible contract. They had a fallout. He went to Lockhart Stadium. But he also was like, this isn't big enough. We need to upgrade the seats. We need 20,000 seat capacity paid out of pocket to make some of those changes happen and yeah. retrofitted it to be a soccer specific stadium. And Lamar Hunt came to get specs and to understand how he was doing it, which informed some of the planning that went into the Columbus crew design. So oh. that's something that a lot of people don't know. Miami was really a trendsetter in so many ways. That's interesting. No, I did not know any of that. And Lockhart um, Stadium, a, a lot of fans that were fans of the MLS in the early days, especially of Miami Fusion, they talk about Lockhart Stadium as if it was like the Mecca. And, and it must have been a very good environment to watch a soccer game in because a lot of people miss that stadium. They miss that experience. You know, it, it was intimate. And when yeah. I go back and watch um, some of the footage and, and a lot of the games, especially from that 2001 season. So for those that don't know, in 2001, the Miami Fusion's last season before they were contracted by MLS, they won the Supporter Shield. 
they dominated the entire league. They only lost, it was three or four matches, five games. Thank you. And then would have won MLS cup. There's some chatter about, you know, we were up against Landon Landon Donovan, Donovan. the golden boy in the San Jose earthquake. So, you know, make of that what you will is what different people say. Um, Mm -hmm. But they should have won MLS cup that year. They definitely won the supporter shield and then boom, they were gone. But in that season, attendance ticked up the environment was intimate you were pretty much on the field watching the game yeah and i haven't heard another environment in america described except for when i i watched the game at q2 stadium and the guy i was with said this reminds me of the old lockhart stadium it's slanted we're right there on the field we can feel the action it's exciting yeah and so i think that's why people beyond the nostalgia factor right and beyond the fact it was a winning season um, I think that is another reason why people yearn for sort of the old Lockhart Stadium feel. Well, you brought I, up your latest episode with John Trask. Yep. And um, I haven't had a chance to listen to it because it just dropped today. So I haven't had a right. chance to listen to it yet. But he worked alongside Ray Hudson. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, right? Because you've gotten to talk to a lot of these guys now. Ray Hudson wasn't necessarily an exes in those guys. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with Ted Lasso, but (laughs) what I imagine is that Ray Hudson is Ted Lasso and John Trask would be the beard, the X's and O's guy. Is that more or less how things went down in 2000, 2001? It's very similar. You know, it's John brought this up and it's actually really interesting because I also brought this up when I was recording with with Alex Panea-Chacon. Um, and I got both of their perspectives, so I'll try and blend some of that. Um, John shared a story in the episode about when he got hired by Ray. So John was a college coach, national championship winning college coach, had never coached in the pros. And Ray had just gotten appointed need to overhaul some of his staff. He was looking for an assistant. John threw his name in the hat. Ray said, come on down to Florida. Let's interview him. Shows up at Ray's house. Ray doesn't interview him. He gestures him into the living room. He turns on the European championships because it's summer 2000. And, they, and he's silent. They're just watching the game. They're watching England play Portugal. They're watching the Neville brothers. John couldn't remember which one. I asked him, I'm like, is it Phil Neville? Was it Phil Neville? Were you watching <laughs> Phil Neville? He was like, I don't remember. It was one of them. I'm like, but was it Phil Neville? And he said he's watching them, and they're playing garbage. And he and John just says, look at this. Look at this pub player. And then he's like, oh, I just criticized this British player to a British coach. Uh, right. Is that it? And Ray looks at him and is like, yeah, he is playing poor. But and just going on, and then Ooh. that was. And he looks at John, and he says, All right, I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions. John said, I kind of blacked out, I don't remember them. Um, but he said, The first one he asked him was, like Okay, you're good at college, but can you coach pros? I need somebody that can coach pros, and that's exactly it. He brought him in, the interview went well. Ray canceled all the other interviews, he only interviewed John, flew him up to Florida, flew him back. He went home, and then Ray called him the next day and said, I need you to get your ass to Florida, we got work to do. And so they came in and that's exactly it. John Trask and Eric Eichmann were tasked with doing the training, sort of the X's and O's and the positional pieces. And Ray was the motivational man. He would come in and he was the psychological factor. Alex Manishikon said he was good with this, the psychology. Um, yeah. I see that comment. Yeah. Yeah. He was like Ted Lasso. He was, he was not just an inspirational figure, but he knew that most of the game, he knew these guys knew how to play. He knew right. that we just need, he just needed to put them on the field and tell them to go and have fun. But he said, I need them in the right mindset and mentality to be able to go and play. 
if I'm overworking them, if I'm overcoaching them, if I'm looking at this data too much or that, they're not going to be successful. That was his approach and it worked. He had the right players. We love in. Ray Hudson down here in South yeah. Florida, obviously, right? Now, and I'm going to let Chris get to your question, but real quick, uh, just to be clear, Ray Hudson had a relationship with these players because before he was the manager, he was in the broadcast booth, wasn't he? So yes. he kind of had a relationship with them, was in the broadcast booth, and from Traveling. the broadcast booth, Yep. Went down he to the side. traveling with them. Yep. yep. So Jim Rooney oh. brought up the fact in the first episode that Ray was not only he was in the announce booth, he was calling the games, and also he, he was traveling with the team. He was traveling with the team. He was their community relations person. He was going yes. to schools, elementary schools, and bringing guys like Jim and Jeff Kassar in. That sto those stories that he was talking he was talking about with kids and then involving the teachers, that was fantastic because i pictured it as about a that kid. episode one guys uh -huh. yep. and 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 you guys got to catch it you guys got to catch it it's the first episode and it's the first one you're gonna love of many and when i saw that i felt like a kid in a class where you know you involve the teacher and they're oh yeah no we got to get him to do this and, and, and like you can imagine ray can hudson imagine running that, that too <laughs> Oh my goodness. And yeah. I imagine that Ray is just reveling in the in in, in the yes. experience. So that that says a lot. And just like how AV Alfonso just brings up that he was like a renegade coach back then, had the best post-match sound bites. I mean, Ray Hudson, just talking about Ray Hudson, he he has the best sound bites, like period. He can fart in a toilet and it might be the best <laughs> part I've ever heard in my life. It would definitely be magisterial. Right. All yeah. right. Uh <laughs> Chris, did you have something? Because I was going to ask another question, but I, don't, I know you have a couple so, things you want to ask. The thing is, I didn't want to fast forward too much, but Richard Greenberg is just coming in with dimes for questions. And so Richard Greenberg asks, was the Fusion's problem was that they didn't have an owner with enough money? So this question is interesting because there's a few different stories out there. So I think one that I've heard some variation of from different players and coaches and, and different people while doing while doing the research for this. And then also there's a good book I'm going to I'm going to recommend folks uh, read. Yeah, it's uh, the United States of Soccer by Phil West, uh, MLS and the Rise of American Soccer Fandom. So it was published in 2017, I believe someone can fact check me. But within there. Within that book, uh, he he's the one that brings up the soccer-specific retrospective um, or, or retrofitting of the stadium. Yeah. And he also talks about the fact that Ken Horowitz um, what, went to the league and said, look, I feel like I'm bleeding money. I feel like I'm not making enough from a sponsorship perspective. Ticket sales did dip in 98 and from 98 to 99 and then from 99 to 2000 with the poor performances on the field or the average performances. Right. Um, but in 2001, they went back up. But from an ownership perspective, it was still not enough. And so I think what people need to remember, which is unfortunate, but from a context perspective, I think if you have that same situation nowadays, an owner is going to feel that they have the ability to kind of wait it out a bit and let things resettle. This is yeah. 2001. The league is not even 10 years old. And there's already discussions that Tampa Bay is likely to get folded as well because it's a league owned team. It's not making any money and it's poor on the field. And it's just, it was just a shame, but yeah, so there was, it was money troubles tied to uh, tied to ownership from 
and I wouldn't say troubles, more of a financial decision by the owner that they wanted to kind of cut their losses and move on, which is unfortunate for the players and the coaches. Well, and I see Richard asking the and this and you brought it up just a couple seconds ago about um MLS owning, I guess, Tampa Bay. Uh and did they take over the ownership of the team uh for, of Miami Fusion, which I'd like to respond to Richard Greenberg. Uh go listen to the podcast. Okay. I mean, if you want to answer it, you can go right ahead, Joe. But but you'll find that answer immediately in the first episode. Yeah. Yeah, so the league the league took over some of the decisions right at the end, but really most of the ownership decisions were still being driven by Ken uh, Horowitz and his his yes. company and his entity. It was their expansion slot, which I believe they came in. They bought the team for twenty million dollars, which is cheap compared to some of the teams that come in now. But um, but yeah, yes, I actually have. I see Richard Greenberg's dropping dimes over here. Long range yeah, goals by Bo. Dur, Dur, Duray. I also have that book as well. So yes, good, good call out. It's too far away in the room. Richard Greenberg is our friend from the up north. He is from Toronto, so he tunes in, and we appreciate Richard coming from uh, north of the border. Um, and he asked so a question. I, he he asked a question. We'll just this is going to be quick, Danny, and then you can get to it. But he asked a question quickly. Um, did the Fort Lauderdale Strikers actually uh, play in in Lockhart Stadium? Do you know? I don't actually know that. I would need someone to fact check me. I know they may have played in Lockhart Stadium. Um, if they did, it was at the reduced capacity. But I did know, Probably. obviously, they played in Fort Lauderdale, hence the name Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Oh, yes. And that's where, and now, making that connection, that's where Ray Hudson played as well, which is where he started building up a following in the fan base and the community, is being mm -hmm. uh, such a dynamic personality and player back in the old NASL days. Now, on one of the episodes, I don't remember if it was uh, which of the episodes that I listened to it was, but you said that there was a point where you guys thought that it wouldn't be Miami that folded, that it was possibly Dallas that was going to yep. fold along with Tampa. Now, is that is I had never heard that before. So is there a so chance that maybe Miami wasn't going to fold, that it was going to be Dallas instead? So there was some chatter that I heard um, that and this was this was just to put into context for people, I think the league was trying to figure out how they can restructure some of the debt and still maintain the league. Cause MLS was pretty hell bent on not collapsing and folding like the NASL. Um, and so they were trying, they recognized they were losing money. People were playing out of football stadiums. They weren't selling it out. Um, and they didn't have sort of the built-in brand appeal that exists today. So they were trying to decide, what to do uh, folding a couple of teams made financial sense. Um, and for a long time, Dallas was a league owned team. And so if you're looking at sort of what's the easy shops to close the league owned right. teams, they don't have to consult with an owner at that point. You can Correct. just make of that course. decision. Shut it down. Mm -hmm. Then Lamar hunt and hunt sports groups came in and purchased the Dallas burn at the time. Uh, they already had Columbus. And then I think they also had Kansas city at the time. The Kansas city wizards now supporting KC. Um, and then they bought Dallas because the hunts are from here and they, uh, they wanted to make sure their hometown team didn't fold. And then eventually they sold off the Columbus crew and then Kansas city. And now they just have FC Dallas and MLS. Um, I had somebody here said, I heard that. I don't know. I don't know how, if this was, I, I don't know if this is any truth. Okay. I heard that Ann Schultz wanted Ray as coach and pressured the league to fold Miami. You know, I hadn't heard that one, uh, so I'm not sure. Um, what is interesting is um, 
from Ray's perspective, he was such a passionate, passionate coach. Um, there's that. an article that was written about when the Miami Fusion lost in the playoffs that year that Ray was holding back tears in the press conference because he knew they were capable mm -hmm. of so much more. And I think th there's a sense that, you know, there's some discussion that John hit, John Trask mentions on the latest episode that Ray had heard rumblings that it's the Miami's thinking about folding. Um, John didn't know how much Ray knew at the time, but part of the holding back tears was definitely for the players and the play, but I think also tied to um, possibly knowing this might be it. Like this is the last press conference for Miami. And, and in that press conference though, ever being Ray, he talked about, we, this was a magical season. We're going to come back harder. We're going to come back faster. We're going to win multiple things next year. You haven't seen the last of us. I think he was almost maybe even daring the league. Like, come on, you're not going to fold the best team in the league. Right. 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 Well, I, I think that's the surprise when you hear that they folded, you wouldn't expect that they're going to end up dismantling the team that was literally in the regular season the best team in the league like it makes yeah. no sense like well was that never taken into consideration i think it was well so i i, I think it's also helpful for folks to remember that while the supporter shield was a noteworthy accomplishment, it didn't necessarily hold the same weight in a league perspective as it does today. Because, because the league was so small, the league was so small and the supporter shield wasn't, you didn't really get anything. If you want, you got the honor of being the best team. You got home field advantage in the playoffs. You didn't get, I mean, it was a CONCACAF champions cup. You didn't get a league yeah. spot. You didn't get all of these other accoutrements that, that go big with it. Plate. You did get the big plate. I asked Jim Rooney about that, right? And he was like, no, no, I remember I remember getting the big plate. And then sure enough, like, you know, it's carved in there, 2001 winners, Miami Fusion. <laughs> but but yeah, that's that's it. maybe you can eat some dinner off the big plate, right? You got a crowd around. No, sorry. That's no it. disrespect intended. <laughs> FC Dallas also won the Supporters Shield. It was, I lost my mind that day. So it was incredible. Look, Ray Hudson looks like he must have been one hell of a coach to play for. And there was a story that Jim Rooney told about the way Ray Hudson treated him, especially after a specific game in the locker room that you guys have to go in and listen to it because just listening to the way and kind of just because in South Florida we're such big fans of Ray Hudson, just imagining him in the locker room and the way he Jim Rooney described that story, it just it, it's 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 perfect. Like if, if you we're all fans of Ray Hudson here. Go ahead and listen to that story or episode one. It was awesome. All right. Now, yeah. I just want to backtrack to one quick thing. Sorry, Chris. Go ahead. Go ahead. You're good. Because we, we talked about it, and I, I really wanted to know if you had the details because I was a teenager. I really wasn't sure what the hell was going on. Why did Pibe Valderrama leave? Because that was so crushing to me. You know, I've not gotten the official story um, from anybody okay. that was involved in it yet. Um, if I do, I'll put it out on the next step, you know, an upcoming episode. Um, the only thing that I can figure, right, he was um, further along in his career. He came to Tampa Bay when MLS started. He ended in Tampa Bay. I truly think he probably just liked Tampa Bay better for whatever purpose. Perhaps he had a house, maybe some family, maybe he had some additional roots. Sometimes players just like a place better and there's really nothing you can do to change that. But, um, but it, it was, it's interesting. I think when, <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yes. Yes. I've got, yeah. it's not a, it's oh, not a fusion guy. Jersey, but I do have. Oh, oh nice. Jeff nice. Kassar. Yeah. He's a, 
Oh, nice. Yeah, no, Dallas that, that, that was before he got to Miami. That's before he got to Miami. I think I think that was mm, I'm trying to remember if that was 97 or if it was 02. No, that was in the 90s. So yeah, it was right before it was before he came to Miami. But when he was still and playing with Garth Loggerway. And and Jeff Kassar, I one of the few players that played all four seasons with the Miami Fusion. That's correct. Yep. That's right. He was a starting keeper in 98, 99. Uh, in 2000, the Fusion drafted Nick Ramondo, you know, a uh, little known goalkeeper that I don't think ended up doing anything in the league. I'm not Just really a blip sure on what, the radar. what happened. To him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one and done. <laughs> um, and so in 2000, uh, Ray saw something special in Ramondo and made the switch and was like, look, we're not going to win a lot, but he's got something here. I need him to start. And he did, and he developed quickly. And then 2001, he was dominant. And Jeff is quite humble in in his episode where he talks about, um, you know, obviously you always want to play, but he said that team dynamic, the way Ray had structured it, we didn't really feel that sort of competition in the in the negative sense, right? It was a healthy competition. We're pushing each other. We're trying to be better. We want to play. We're not all always going to play. But he started coaching. Ramondo and being a mentor to Ramondo in 2000, which then led to 2009. Jeff Kassar is the goalkeeper coach for Real Salt Lake and has had that connection with Ramondo all the way through and then helps Ramondo, you know, plan and prep for PKs, which leads to RSL winning their MLS Cup championship. Yeah. Well, and, and Diego Serna played also during the whole the yes. whole time with the Miami Fusion as well, right? That's correct. Which which brings me to a, a point, a, a question I have, right? I, I noticed that he played, well, you have, you have Miami Fusion. And then in the little research that I've been able to do, I really haven't wanted to do too much research because I kind of want to be informed by Joe Shaw because your <laughs> podcast is literally informing me of just about everything that I know of Miami Fusion. Um, but I noticed in my research, there's actually a club called Miami Fusion FC that I guess was established in 2015 to 2017. There's even a Miami Dade FC uh, founded in 2014. So like there's been other Miami teams. I mean, even to the point that there's a Miami Fusion FC, which doesn't seem like it's like linked to the original Miami Fusion. Is that is that some is that something that in your research that you've ever came across? Does that have any relation to Miami Fusion? So what I've been able to determine is is most of these clubs sort of came up and under different ownership groups and and wanted to have some some link and some mental link to what has come before. So you yeah. talked about Miami Fusion, right? So some of these clubs, I, I would have to double check, but some of them played. Um, I don't know if it was USL structured at that time or if it was still considered yeah. the A-League or the USA. Well, USASA is amateur, but PDL um, in, in some of these groups. But essentially, USL League 2 or League 1 type level where these yeah. clubs want to want folks to remember the Miami Fusion, but also have a new logo, new color scheme and say, look, but we're we're starting new. And, yeah. and as you said, those clubs didn't really last. You know, you've got Inter Miami and MLS now and you've got Miami FC is the the usl yes. club correct yep yep and and the funny thing is is that miami fc has like seven and a half fans that go to those games and they're still thriving like yeah. 
I don't that guy for sure is 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 dealing with something with cocaine and we, hookers. We we have oh. our suspicions that something something fishy is going on over there. Something fishy yeah, something is going fishy. on. Something over fishy there. is going over there. So uh, go ahead, Danny. No, I was just gonna say Richard Greenberg asked a question uh that I believe you addressed in one of your episodes. I want to say is with Jim Rooney. Uh didn't Ray's fusion team play the famous Dutch system of soccer? Lots of passing, like the old Barcelona teams. As long That's as everybody cool. was disciplined and got back, I would assume, correct? Yes, yes. that is correct. So um, I think each of the guys touches on it in a different way. John Trask definitely goes into it on this week's episode. And Gotta he says, yeah, so he talks about And actually, when I was talking to Alex Pena-Chacon, he also talked about it and brought it up and said, but John mentioned that uh, John was also loved the Johan Cruyff, the total football, the Barcelona style of, of play. And so when Ray was like, we're just going to let him go and this is what we're going to do. He was like, I'm all for it. And he said it got to be so in, in answer to Richard's question. Yes, that's exactly how they played. And 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 if you look at the timelines, um, Miami was a little bit ahead of the time. So, yes, it was the Barcelona, but it was really the total football style of play that the Dutch played in the seventies. And so the seventies, the eighties is when Ray's playing, he's around it. He likes it. Um, it's informative, right? It's taken the world by storm. Why wouldn't you want to bring it? And especially into a league that had had some successful teams, but you really didn't see that run and gun style. And in fact, Alex talked about uh, when I was interviewing him. And so this will be in an upcoming episode. He said something that he learned as a player from Ray and from John and from Eric Eichmann, who were the coaches, but from Ray, and that he tried to tries to instill in his players: don't be wasteful with the ball, protect the ball, play with the ball. You can play this fast style as long as you keep control of the ball, and where it ends is in the back of the net. Because if you're playing it this way and you're playing fast, the only way you can get hurt is if you give up the ball. Now you're tracking back, you're wasting energy. But if you play and you make the team chase you, then you're going to run them off the field and run them ragged, which is exactly what Miami Fusion did. In 2001, that's what they did. Yeah, uh-huh. Well, and speaking of 2001, Louis C. just uh, chimes in and says the 2001 Miami Fusion was the greatest MLS team of all time. So, that's right. That's what we're and- saying. And and going back to looking at their record and information and statistics, I mean they literally were, and and then we got we got uh, Pete Abronsky, he's asking me, please tell me you'll be interviewing Ian Bishop. I was texting with him just today. I am going to be interviewing Ian Bishop, um, the classic West Ham player who brought that bone crunching and fast playing style to Miami, and in fact. This is, a, this is a, another fun story. I talked to Alex and I was remembering a specific goal sequence that I couldn't quite remember when it happened, but I remember watching it as a kid. And he said, oh, I remember when that was. That was my first game that I played. I got brought on. It was a game against Colorado. And he's just like, boom, 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 remembering this. And Ooh. he said, there's a foul in the buildup to the play. He sees Ian Bishop go to start the indirect free kick and just put a palm on the ball. And he said, I immediately go, this guy's a player. I need to get open. And he starts running. And he said, I turn my hips to where I can accept the ball and immediately shoot. And Colorado's walking around. He said, they're walking around like, what, some promenade? They want some carnival? Like, I don't know what they're waiting on. And and he puts a palm on. The ref is like, you're good to go. He lobs the ball to me. I take a boom, goal, finish. Colorado's turned around going, what, what, 
what just happened? What just happened? He's like, that's how quick he said. Everybody in the team was that quick, but Ian Bishop specifically had that mentality. And Jim Rooney talks about Ian Bishop was his, his, his partner, his uh, midfield partner that he loved to play with. So yeah, they're, they're our uh, good buddies. I, I had a question for you. Are you going to stop it at exactly 25 episodes? Uh, that was the in, the original plan. I will say the okay. original plan was I wanted to talk right. to 25 people that wanted to share their stories. We're putting together an oral history of the team. I got some other ideas in the works for how we're going to distill that into another consumable format for folks. Um, but what's been fun to me is the amount of people that have sort of come out of the woodwork to yes, be like, oh, hey. I, I was the head of you know communications or media relations for all years. Hey, I also covered the team, but I worked for MLS and this is my capacity. Hey, I was you know the team mom, right? The the woman that uh, Jim Rooney and Jeff Casara yes, talked yes, about before. Yes, I heard Cardoza, about her. Right? Yes, uh-huh. Yeah, so going to be talking to her, and so we're talking about different people that the fusion was a huge part of their lives, and and it's so cool hearing sort of the same beats from a different point of view, and you get the for full sure. picture. And what I found and what I love, and I, and I think this is probably clear, but but what I want people to know, the reason why this matters and that we're bringing this up is because this impacted so many people in such a profound way that they felt, I mean, y'all talk about La Familia at the Inter-Miami games, and people talk about they lived that, they felt that. There's a guy I was talking to that was um, uh, a fan. He didn't have an official title. He wasn't on staff. And and Jim and Jeff and and John and Alex are talking about. Oh yeah, I know that guy. He went on trips with us. We loved him. We brought him in. We invited him to the cookouts and the barbecue because we were all a family. He said that's how Miami is. That's how the community is. And we just felt at one. And so when that team gets ripped away, I mean, you're you're losing a significant portion of of that family dynamic, and it's tough. And it's it's not only that, but. Uh, the interesting about your the interesting thing about your podcast is is that it gives that oral history of not just the Miami Fusion but MLS during that time period and since you're getting it from so many different perspectives it really does give you an insight very differently from those perspectives and it gives you sort of a fresher look into actually what was happening during that time so that's something that you I can, guys, that I can and, and the Miami Fusion had Quite the supporters who back then also the aficionados were loud and proud, just like Vice City is now holding it down, and that was a big void that was left in a lot of people's hearts once we left. Once uh, we once the Miami Fusion left town, um, just I wanted to go back just real quick. We were talking about the twenty-five. That's it might be more than twenty-five. Right. Do you have a grand finale set up? I only ask this because. I understand you get who you can when you can. I get that. But I feel like the grand finale, like this is the last episode, has to be Ray Hudson, right? Like that's the grand, like you are my send off. I mean, but like you're you gotta, now you're, but Danny, now you're asking him to, to unveil the secret recipe here. I mean, are you sure about that? You sure you want to finish that question? Tell, I was hoping it was going to be episode number one. I was like, okay, Jim Rubin, he is cool, but I want to hear Ray Hudson. But then I was like, well, you know what? The smart play might be. That's the grand finale. You got to leave the best for last. Could you imagine Ray Hutton's storytelling? Like we had Fernando Fiore on last month, and he talked a lot about the Miami Fusion, and he's a great yes. storyteller. We could have gone for two, three hours if, if, if he would have had the time. But I would imagine Ray Hutton is just as good, and he can go for just as long, if not longer. 
you know, Fernando's actually going to be on the show. So I interviewed him as well. So that's when I talk about people in the community, right? That that had different yeah, ties to the fusion. Mm-hmm. Fernando is a perfect example of being For around sure. the team and being part of the team and covering the team. Being in the locker room. Yes, exactly. Yes. Um, I I am not going to say what right. the last episode will <laughs> Good be. Man. Good man. I will say conversations are always ongoing. This whole project has evolved a lot faster and a lot differently uh, in a positive way than I ever thought. I was do- I, Truthfully, I wanted this show to be out and I was like, nobody's done this. I'll do it. And we'll put it out and let's talk about it because it's important. Um, And then I see you brought up uh, uh, Luis's comment about the aficionados. And uh, I'm actually going to talk to him on the show as well, because he was at the Supporter Shield ceremony where he was given that big old plate. Right. And was able to kind of accept it on behalf of the fusion. So, like, that's an incredible, incredible uh, story, along with how the supporters groups have merged. Um, Ken Horowitz, we'll see. I don't know if he, he would want to talk to me. I, um, he's, he's not going to want to come on there. But you never know. You never know. You never you know. You never know. It's like it's like what Joe is saying, right? Little by little, right? You had this idea, and it, it's you're picturing a decent-sized tree, but then all these roots just start sprouting off, and you're like, whoa, this thing can actually be something more than what you projected in the 25 episodes. So yeah, man, good for you. Well, Don't tell that thing. What I love about chronicling the, the, the history of the fusion is that this is something that can live on forever, right? If yep. 20 years down the line, somebody's interested, you can go back and find these episodes and they're still going to yes. be as relevant in 20 years as they are right now. Whereas in like, for example, the show that me and Chris do after Next week's game, nobody's coming back to listen to the preview episode a week yes. ago that we did a week or two ago. Like, but what you're doing is going to be around and relevant for probably ever. So I really appreciate what you're doing because it it it's it's also it's gonna feed the knowledge of a lot of South Florida, for example, youngsters or people like Chris that weren't into soccer back then, and let them know the history of South Florida soccer like they didn't know existed. Because a lot of people just think it started with Inter Miami or with Miami FC over at FIU. They don't right. realize we had a squad four years back in the late 90s and early 2000s. We were probably one of the greatest MLS teams of all time. We were yeah. a very fun team. We were high scoring. And, I mean, I don't know how you're going to do it, Joe, but you got to turn this into a documentary somehow. I'm just putting it out there. Like, it has to be on video format at some point. I mean, you know, I, all I'm saying is MLS just signed a 10-year deal with Apple, and they may, may you know, oh, I'm just saying classic I, I, I content see the is writing gold. on the wall. Right. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying. And hey, I what I'm trying to do. And so I'll share this to try and drum up support as well is uh, we're, there's there's sort of two things that I'm trying to work on. So one is uh, because of how this has evolved and because everybody is so excited, um, I'm trying to find an additional way for it to live on. So I am exploring the idea of pulling stuff into a book format. Um, yeah. So people can read it and carry it with them and continue to share it and pass it on because realistically, we don't know right how technology evolves and 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 changes. So that's a that's a different way. So, uh, you know, I will share stuff as I, as I have it um, as we go on. But the other part is we're trying to explore getting a Miami Fusion night at an inter Miami game this year. So sort of two, two things are trying to do that for the last two years. I've been calling for it. Exactly. And a lot of people, well, a lot of people are telling me that they don't, they want no um, MLS one approve of it. Even though I don't, I don't see why MLS well, one would care, and for two, yep. why Inter Miami would have to get permission for a themed night. But a lot of people say that because it was a failed uh, franchise in the MLS, that it's a bad look. 
I think that we should embrace it. I yes. think I think it's all in how you frame it, right? So I think had Miami, if Miami still didn't have a team, probably not. Um, if, if it was the first year, probably not. Um, but a lot has changed, right? This isn't the first year of Inter Miami. It's been around a bit. And and you've got, it's 25 years. It's a nice round number. It's exciting. And if you if you position it as we are connecting what came before with what's to come, and we build it as some excitement, we get the fans there, the supporters are already there, then it can work. And I think it can be successful. And Chris Henderson, uh, former Fusion player, was part of that 2001 team. I was going to bring team. him up next. Yep. Uh-huh. He, uh, he's, you know, he's aware of the show is what I would say. And I'm hopeful that that will help open some doors with, with doing a theme night, but we're looking at possibly doing a Miami fusion theme night. And then also kind of a live panel podcast ish, but really like live panel discussion that we'll record upon the podcast with anybody that can come, right? Maybe that's Ray Hudson. Uh, maybe we get Fernando there. We get Jim Rooney. We get Fernando's several always at the stadium anyway. Huh? Exactly. Right. So we get these players and staff and we have the supporters come and get to talk to them and really get that closure. I've heard from so many yeah. people that they didn't feel as a supporter, they got to celebrate that supporter shield and that they got to say goodbye. And I think that's what we want to give fans is the opportunity to celebrate and say goodbye and then put all of that energy into an inter Miami championship, right? There's so many championships that we're playing for now. Let's win yes. one of them. Well, look, if, if obviously you have connects now that you're talking to people like Chris Henderson, if you've talked to him or not, and, and Fernando and Ray Hudson, and obviously, you know, people are talking to people are much higher up than we are. But if we can assist in any way, you let us know. Because like I said, every time I wear this jersey on this show, I bring it up and I'm still hopeful that we're going to have a throwback night for, for the Miami Fusion because yes. I feel like it's only right to connect the past to the future. So I've been calling for it. And if you can make it happen and I can help in any way, please let me know. Go ahead, Chris. Well, and and Danny, the one thing that you brought up earlier about uh, how this, you know, the, the podcast can be able to live on further for many, many, many years to come. You're talking about, for example, a person like myself who wasn't familiar with this sport, to be honest. I heard about Miami Fusion. I kind of knew little things here and there or just in, in, in passing by. But when my son watched our podcast a couple weeks ago and Danny played highlights of like the all-star little games or whatever – my son was like, oh, there was a Miami team before because he thought it was Inter-Miami only as well. So he started watching some of the highlights. He started seeing a little bit of Miami Fusion. So then his mind opened up. So that's the real cool thing about the, the experience that that you're you're giving to a lot of the fans and a lot of the listeners. I agree. Um, and, you know, I did see somebody brought up uh richard greenberg had brought up a moment ago johan cruff was the the guy that brought the total football to barcelona so yes i think i may have separated barcelona and total football with dutch but and johan cruff but yes johan cruff bringing it to barcelona so thank you for that correction yeah and and, and one and thing according and, to richard greenberg also apparently toronto fc also did honor the toronto metro oh, nice. croatia 1976 nasl soccer bowl champions so it happens. It happens. I don't know when. Does anybody ever bring back the Metro Stars night? Because I don't think that has happened. Um, but I would. But I say, why not? Right. You, the Galaxy have leaned into their old colors. FC Dallas this year uh, wasn't quite the jersey I was hoping for, but they they do have the burn uh, uh, on the back of the neck, yes, right? I and did they do see have, that. Yes. They do have the flame. So there's there's some there's some 
um, I would say, acceptance in, in leaning into those callback uh, accoutrements on the jerseys? Well, I'm down for having a Miami Fusion sort of throwback night. Get Let everybody try to buy a jersey. Give everybody Valderrama a wigs. You know, yes. a, give, Messi a, give Messi a Valderrama wig when he's here. Have him go <laughs> out in it wearing this, wearing that jersey that Dan, Daniel's got on. People won't yeah, even know. Yeah. They'll be like, Valderrama's back? What is going on? I thought that's he was still it. in Colombia. <laughs> Put that's away the pink it. smoke bombs for a, for a right. week. <laughs> Bring out some blue and yellow smoke bombs. Yeah, I, I could picture it in my head. I think it would be an awesome experience. Do like a blue out or a yellow out. Yes. Give away free shirts. Like I think it would be an awesome night. I don't know. Chris Henderson, if you need ideas, come at your boy. Cause I've actually been thinking about this a lot more that I'm proud of because it's never well, everybody's <laughs> telling me it's not gonna happen, but I still pictured it in my head. It's gonna happen. I got the blueprint. So you let me know and we can make this happen. Happy to that's, help. That's right. I right, y'all uh, got some gam today. Let's just Pull that into the Miami future. No, there I'm you sorry. go. We it's got too one fresh. Might as well to play with. <laughs> yeah, we just shipped off uh, uh, Ariel Lassiter, Roy Lassiter's son, over to Montreal. So, yep. You know. All right. So, do you think that 2001 team, if it doesn't fold and it keeps competing, do you think it wins a title eventually? Like, would this team have been successful if we just, if they would have been able to just play it out? Like, how would this team have looked over the last? 20 some odd years 21 22 years you know i often wonder that and i want to i want to there's a couple things so the 2002 season la galaxy won their first mls cup led by el pescadito the little fish carlos ruiz who came to dallas and was is a super cool dude by the way um so they won and they were not better in my opinion than the fusion the fusion were world-class better um and ray hudson and john trask went to dc united yeah so uh richard greenberg's talking about the 90s dc teams were yeah, well, el diablo he, echeverry yes i mean they were fantastic um mm -hmm. but ray went to dc united and in two th in the 2002-2003 season laying the groundwork for what happens in the 2004 season when DC wins their to date last MLS cup. And John goes on the record and talks about how when they got to DC, they were pitched to come to DC because it was a similar, similar rebuild. I'm using air quotes here to the Miami fusion project. They got there and went, no, this is a larger rebuild. This is a big deal. There's not a lot to work with. There's a lot of clashing going on. There's the infrastructure is different. Like it was, a, it was very problematic but they went to work and they went to work and they put people out there and they put them in their positions and they instilled a level of confidence. And I'm not saying that Peter Novak who came in in 2004 didn't do anything, but I am saying he had a lot better team to work with um, than when Ray Hudson, John Trask got there. So if you apply what they were able to do in 02 and 03, which led to the 04 MLS cup championship with but less you start, but you start with that 2001 team. I don't know. I don't know how you don't, continue yeah. to dominate they had pre like this has to be said they had Preki, and P miami was the only mls team Preki played for that wasn't kansas city and i still to this day do not know how they got that's probably a ray hudson story but for some reason Preki became available i don't know maybe he was upset in kansas city he didn't like the barbecue after a while i'm not sure yeah. um could be but he came to miami and john trask says um you know, John Trask and Doug Hamilton, rest in peace at the time, 
said, Ray, uh, where are you going to play Precky? And Ray's like, you don't find a place to play Precky. You put him on the field and you put people around him. You just say, go be incredible. And John tells the story that he went to go pick up Precky because they didn't have people that could go pick up players at the time, right? MLS in 2001, Mm -hmm. shoestring budget. Um, And he goes to pick him up and he calls him by his full name. Um, And John said, I'd been in the Serbian league. I had had some experience there. So he calls him by his full name um, with with the right pronunciation. Precky turns around and looks at him. And John says, hey, Ray Hudson's not interested in a retirement tour. Ray Hudson is not interested in half of you. You're not going to come in and play good for one game and get an assist every now and then. No, you're the linchpin to this team. We're building something special here. And Ray Hudson wants you to show up and be all of you. And that was day one. Day one, expectations were set. Precky comes in, is the linchpin to that team. That is a story. Yeah. Well, we're coming to the end here. And now that you came off that story, I, I did want to know, are there any other, because I know that you've recorded some episodes, like you said, that ha- aren't released yet. Any stories that you could share with us that, uh, you know, would tickle our pickle a bit or interesting and funny? One thing that I thought was really interesting when I was talking to Alex Pineda-Chicon um, that I didn't realize was he trained with Miami in I think it was 99 it may have been 98 but he trained with them and the coach at the time if it was 98 it would have been Cacho if it was 99 it would have been Evo Wartman said hey you're excellent um do you want to like are you available and he's like no I'm just coming through here to to train I'm playing with Olympia he just he just randomly trained with us so so that was the thing with MLS at the time is you would have players coming through town and just being like hey I've got my gear can I just like run alongside and train and people would be like yeah sure whatever no minimal security not a big deal whatever um now whatever. people are like wait a minute who's training and where are they from and what are their stats right, right, right. back then people are like oh it's another guy training with the team okay you know whatever um and then that was it so he had a brush with miami and then uh in 2001 he had an opportunity to go to la liga and um the coach got fired and so the the opportunity fell out and he had heard from um he had heard through the, I forget, I'll have to go back when editing the episode, but he had heard that Miami was in the market for a playmaker. And so uh, he said, I got my tapes. I don't know if they were Betamax or VHS. And I gave them to my agent, which was his friend, and was like, get these in the hand of the people in Miami. So he gave it to Ray. Ray saw it and was like, I want to I want to call him right now. Can you three-way call me with him? And Alex didn't speak English at the time. So they're like translating, going back and forth and they work out a deal. Yeah. They fly him down and he's going to be, he's like, I came in. I thought it was going to be messy. I thought it was gonna be the playmaker. I've always been the playmaker get there. He's like, we have Preki. We have a playmaker again. Where, where am I going to go? So he starts on the bench. They put him in the last mm-hmm. 30 minutes of the first game. He gets two goals. Ooh. Starts on the bench again. They put him in. He gets more goals. I'm like, all right, well we got to play you. Yeah. So they adjust the formation so they can get both of them on the field. And, and Alex said, I still kept trying to come back and get the ball and come back and get the ball. And then Diego Serna said, no, let's stay up high. Let's let them get the ball to us. And, and Alex said, so finally, and this is going to be the episode title. He said, finally, one day I went fine. I'll score goals. Fine. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. Like, just give me the ball. Like I was trying to feed you, but you're going to feed me. So fine. And he was like, and most of my goals were just one touch finishes. They were just finishes. Ooh. I didn't even strike the ball. Diego Serna is one of the more polarizing figures from those four years. Yep. Now, my understanding is that he might have been a bit of a, 
hothead. Yeah. Was he? Did, did have you heard any interesting stories about Diego Serna since you started doing this? It was from I asked Alex about this actually, so it, it's covered on the podcast, and he he speaks to it a lot better than I can. But I'll, I'll try and summarize. And he said there was a couple things, right? Diego liked to play liked to play well, and he liked to score, and he liked to win. And I think some of it was a bit of a language barrier, right? I mean, he didn't he didn't have um, really anybody he could he could have like as a buddy right there at the time. You know, he's yeah. playing, people are coming and people are going, and he's the guy. And he's supposed to be scoring all the goals, but he can't. He's not communicating as clearly as as some of the other players. So obviously, he's getting frustrated. Said I came in instantly. Neither one of us really spoke English. We're thick as thieves. We're talking. We're communicating. It's like we go out every single day, every single night, every single time. We're going out. We're going out with our significant others. Like we're date. We're going out. We're talking. Said we're talking football constantly because we're both from uh, football countries. We love it. So we're talking about. We're talking about. Well, let me try this. Let me try this. It's like then we both start scoring, and so we're getting a little competitive. He's like, but then I always tell him. Said I tell Diego, and John mentions that um, the personality of Alex, and I saw when it came out, is such that he's so welcoming and open that he was never going to be an ego clash with anybody. And so he tells Diego, he's like, I'll pass you the ball. And I promise I'm never going to be selfish as long. And I need you to pass it back to me. I'll pass it to you. You pass it to me. We'll win. And he's like, and that's exactly what happened. We, he said, we were friendly, competitive, but we got the best out of each other. And, and Jim, he, Jimmy Rooney even talks about in his episode, that that's when you really saw Diego open up and light up and really tap into that potential was when Alex was right there with him. Batman, Robin, Batman, Superman. There you go. Luis talking about Mastroini. We didn't even mention Mastroini, right? But Mastroini, yeah. manager of Real Salt Lake, was the fan favorite. That's correct. And and Joe, listen, you're dropping dimes because I, I, I was also looking at Diego Serna, and it seems like he must have been like full of himself. But that sort of story opens up a little bit of personality and a little bit of 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 i guess uh wanting to be able to play within his team but yeah. in a very competitive nature so that's that's interesting that's interesting for sure right danny yeah um i was now that he brought up mastroni i before we sign off right because we're coming up against the hour I'll, are there any other players that maybe somebody that doesn't know too much of the history of miami fusion should maybe could look into or or should know about because for example a lot of people don't know about chacon a lot of people just remember yeah. pibe they might remember who else uh pibe is the one i mean obviously because i'm yeah. maybe i'm biased but that's the first one no, that comes to my yeah. mind yep um chacon serna like who else somebody i wasn't familiar with the uh, fusion was a big time name or like lewis said a fan favorite that people just don't recognize or aren't familiar with I mean, Chris so, Henderson, for those of you that don't know, was on the team yeah. in 2001 also. And Alex talked about that he got real close with Chris because he said, I saw Chris all the time in the national team. So Chris obviously playing for the U.S. and Alex playing for the Honduran national team. They, he said, we played against each other all the time. So I knew who Chris right. was. I knew he was good and I was excited to play with him. There was a lot of players that passed through. Um, you had like Kyle Beckerman was was a, a, a rookie, right? In in sort of that last season. And then you had we talked about Nick Romando and we talked about Ian Bishop. Um I Kyle think a lot Be of people don't realize that Nick Romando started with the fusion. That's right. We started with the fusion. He moved to DC. He moved to DC along with um with with John Trask and, and Ray Hudson. Um Brian Dunseth as well, current broadcaster. He's gonna be on the show. Uh he was on that team. And there's a story, there's a heartbreaking story 
John Trask talks about um, when the fusion, when the fusion were told they were contracting, all of the staff was in a tiny ass conference room and they were on speakerphone and they were told on speakerphone, you're done. That's it. Game over. And John said, probably shouldn't say this, but that conference phone went flying across the room. Ray, Ray was furious, understandably very passionate, right? That was it. He said, I walk out. I'm in disbelief. Brian Dunseth pulls up in a car. He said, notices something's wrong, rolls down his window and says, what's up? I tell him we're done. We're finished. Dunseth rolls up his window, pulls out. And he's like, that's the last time I ever saw Brian Dunseth in person. That's brutal. I have one last question and then I'll pass it over to Chris. If he has any other questions and anybody in the chat wants to ask any other questions before we uh, sign off. When they found out that they were no longer going to be playing, did that happen like soon after getting eliminated from the playoffs and after that season ended? Or was it like right before the following season? Like when exactly did that happen? Because honestly, I've, I've never really, I don't remember a timeline as to when it became official. That's it. Miami Fusion is no more. It was pretty soon after MLS Cup. I don't remember the exact timeline. I think John mentions it on the episode, um, but it was pretty soon thereafter the season had ended. And then um, Jim Rooney talks about how it was days before training camp when they had the dispersal draft with all the players in a room in a conference room. So there was a little bit of time in between being told you're done and the dispersal draft happening. But it all, I mean, it all happened pretty quick. We know how short these MLS off seasons are anyways. I mean, that that turnaround was pretty significant. And speaking of Jim Rooney, I see him hanging out in the chat. There he is, the legend himself, Captain Rooney. Is. Yes. And he mentions he mentions Kyle, uh, Kyle Beckettman and, and Lazo Alvana, Jeff Bilek, I guess. Bilek, yeah. Jeff Billick, yeah. Yeah, Billick, they were just starting careers and great teammates, big part of big part of the fusion. I mean, it's a shame to kind of hear how it sort of got dismembered and then yeah. the fashion that it was. I mean, the the explanations that you're giving are literally opening my eyes. Cause like I told you before we even started the podcast, I thought that the reason that they lost the team was gonna be like cocaine and hookers infused, <laughs> but that's not the case at all. I mean, and it's and it's a sad thing to hear because a team that's just getting uh, as high as they've gotten in within the four year history to be brought down like a ton of bricks. That's that's for the people that you're speaking to. It's got to be one of the hardest things that they've probably ever had to experience. And quite honestly, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be easy or or not just easy to experience, but something they're never going to forget. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you remember Fernando Fiore when we brought it up. He said, man, I don't even like talking about it because it brings a tear to my eye. Yeah. So there's a lot of people that were involved that still feel it heavy in their heart. He was very passionate. He was very passionate about that. Every time I've spoken to someone and we start talking, it's really funny. It's fun for me. I start talking to him. You know, it's a little casual at first. We're telling a few stories about halfway through every single one of the recordings. I just see something take over. I see their eyes light up. They start going back to a place and they're in it. Like you can just see Like John Trask talked about being on the sidelines and being able to call a goal four passes before it happened because he just knew. And I could see him going back to that moment. 
Jim's talking about playing and, and being on the, the field and, and, and being with the guy, he talks about being in the locker room and Ray telling him, you know, uh, Hey, I got to treat you this way. Hold on. Wait, what? And then you can just see, yes. I can see him back in the locker room. He's talking about the MLS all-star game, which he had an infamous moment where he, uh, people said he was doing uh, a, an homage to Brandy Chastain at the time who did the goal celebration yes. at the 99 world that cup. Was He's like, was story. I, yep. was I, <laughs> but you that see these guys go also. flash right back to those moments. And it's, it's incredible. It's fun for me. And while it is extremely sad and disappointing how it ended, I think what's what's cool about this ability to honor this legacy is to really frame it in a way of, hey, Miami Fusion were trailblazers. They were trendsetters. They were really ahead of their time in so many different ways. And if you look at the careers of some of these guys, you know, we talked about Nick Ramondo, Kyle Beckerman, Pablo Mastroeni you look at the careers that some of these guys went on to have. Yeah. It is the fabric of MLS. Yeah. Like you said, even the 2004 uh, DC championship, if yeah. the fusion don't get dismantled, they might not get that ship. We might be celebrating something like that. Yes. What would have happened if Freddie Adu had come to the fusion? What would have happened? Freddie Adu, that's, that's a name. That's a name. 14-year-old megastar. All right. Um, if you guys are not yet following Joe Shaw or the podcast, well, you know what? You plug it. Let, you know, sure. You plug it much better than I can. Sure. So there's a couple ways. So the official title of the episode is 25 for 25, the story of the Miami Fusion from those who lived it. You can get that wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I would ask, as you're rating and review, five-star rating and reviewing Battered Herons, since you're already on the platform anyways, just go ahead and switch on over to 25 for 25, throw a five-star rating, give us a nice review. It helps both of our shows out. Um, it really it really goes a long way, so I appreciate that. Um, and then if you're on Facebook or Instagram, it's at Miami Fusion Pod, P-O-D. So we're putting out some retro content. I'm putting out like retroactive or retro. I keep saying retroactive retrospectives of uh, the 1998 season. So I'll put a little image out, a little bit of match facts. If you're trying to educate yourself on what happened, you can go. We're about to be, I will say this as an aside, we're about to be coming up on some uh, U.S. Open Cup from 1998. Um, and uh, the U.S. Open Cup, the Miami Fusion, we talk about what came before lays the foundation for what comes next. That 2000 team made a run all the way to the finals of the U.S. Open Cup, losing barely to Chicago 2-1. to one. Some great stories in John's episode. He talks about going to Saginaw, Michigan, and playing the Michigan Bucks, a premier development league team, and winning in penalty kicks because it was a Wild West shootout of a game. You got to go listen to that. So we're we're covering that. We're going to be doing some U.S. Open Cup stuff. And um, and truly, oh, and on Twitter, I'm at Detox Joe. D-T-A-L-K-S uh, is the, the main show that I do. Um, and then Joe J O E. So I'm putting out some content and, and hype and stuff there. So yeah, you can find me um, anywhere. And we're just, we're just having fun. We're living in the nineties and early two thousands because who wouldn't want to. Let me tell you something. Chris lives in the nineties and I'm not just talking sports. I'm talking music, everything. Yes. If he could. Tra yes, I do. So this is like right down his alley and don't be surprised if 25, to 25 changes to 45 to 45. Cause we yes. have a lot of people on the guest list from what I'm hearing. So I'm yes. looking forward to catching every episode. I'm, I'm glad that you took the time to jump on because this is a project that I think is going to be awesome. I have a love for the Miami Fusion that almost makes no sense because I only went to one game. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I was a teenager. It was more than 25 or it was 25 years ago that it started. But I'm telling you, I, I we have to make that 
theme night come. And even if it's just one night, give me that theme yes. night. Give me the blue and yellow smoke bombs. I am ready. You know, what did, uh, what did 98 Degrees say? Give me just one night, una noche, right? I mean, that's all we need, right? <laughs> a little bit different context. That's all. One time. Extremely different context. But for sure, this is something that, like Danny said, I'm looking forward to because uh, I think history just in general is, is a beautiful thing. And history in sports in particular, especially for its, uh, the MLS, I'm really interested in because I'm trying to get as much knowledge and 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 things in my brain just so I can be better at what I do here with the battered hair. And so it, it's something that I can definitely say I appreciate you taking the time to do not just the podcast, but for sure for joining us here uh, and, and helping not just our fans and people here in the chat know a little bit more, but myself as well. So it's definitely appreciated on my end. And one world, one girl chimes in. Hola, mi gente. It's Italia of the aficionados. Love the series and need a tissue for the last one. I haven't had a chance to hear the last one, but I'm looking forward to it as everybody needs to check it out. Oh. Uh, and, oh. There you go, yes. Joe. There it is. And then she jumps on. Thank you, Joe, for doing this series. Diego and I have been trying to set this fusion reunion up for years. Was delayed by the pandemic and Beckham promised to honor our past history. If so, it's a Beckham promise, we'll cash in the Beckham buck. There we go. There we go. Before he leaves, because I heard he's selling the team to Messi. But that's <laughs> no, I'm joking. I, I heard, heard it was just I'm a joking. percentage. I heard it was just a percentage, right? It's, right. It's Beckham's percentage. I've heard again. <laughs> again, I'm joking. I have no idea. But again, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. Um, again, like and subscribe, YouTube. Go ahead, give five stars to 25 for 25, which will soon be 50 for 50. And uh, Chris, do you have anything else for the people no again joe it was a pleasure to have you on thank you so much for taking the time you know it's i enjoyed it and i'm pretty sure danny enjoyed it and and everybody in the chat thank you so much for chiming in i know for sure that you guys enjoyed it joe it was it was definitely a pleasure thank you all for the invite uh, i enjoyed this show um because it allows me to get it. more connected with inter miami uh, and so i'm excited i appreciate y'all yeah no, and, and, I, and I appreciate that you coming in changed up the colors a little bit because, I mean, I love the pink, but it was nice changing it up. Blue and yellow. I like it. We got to yes, get that, yes. that theme going. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. I listened all the way to the end. We appreciate you guys as always. And we will be back next Monday. Uh, no, not next Monday. We, there's no game to recap this weekend. We'll be coming back That's next right. Wednesday previewing Houston. We have a, a podcast from Houston joining us. So we could preview that Houston Dynamo game. And I guess we'll be talking about our new players and all that other stuff. But until then, since we don't have a lot of Inter-Miami going on for the next week, go ahead, lay back, listen to some Miami Fusion history, and uh, hit up your boy Joe Shaw. Thank you again, and we will talk to you Mon oh, Wednesday. Jesus, it's going to be hard to remember. <laughs> have a good one.